like you to stand, if you would, one more time for the reading of the Word of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Just going to read, we're going to read several passages this morning. Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 10. Jesus is in the process here of explaining to His disciples have asked a question, what's it going to be like at the coming of the Son of Man? What's it going to be like when earth wraps things up and when you return? And Jesus is explaining to them about all the things that are taking pla- going to take place and that even today are beginning to take place. And then he says in verse 10, and this is where we're going to focus, because Jesus has a tendency in his teaching to give you a broad view, and then he always focuses down to the human heart. Did you hear what I said? Jesus is, not, Jesus is a big picture God, but a personal God. So even when he's giving the big picture, he's going to always bring it down to you and to me. And so here's what he does in verse 10. He says, then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. We're seeing that take place today. We're seeing the offense, the betrayal, the deception. Verse 12, and because lawlessness, now lawlessness means, means what it means. It means that there's no boundaries. There's just whatever the human mind, whatever the human heart can conceive, it will do. He says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And uh, I think that's, that's important that we need to understand. It's interesting to me in verse 12 that lawlessness and cold love are linked together. Whenever we refuse, you see, David would write that the law of the Lord is perfect. It, it does something to my heart. And when I turn from it, and you say, you know, and we're going to talk a little, little bit, uh, we'll talk a lot today about what it means, what, we're going to define Pharisees, we're going to define a lot of things today, but we're also going to get to the love of God. How many of you are glad about that? The love of the lawlessness winds up in cold love. Now go with me to Hosea. It's where we've been camping a little bit. Hosea chapter 2. Now the prophetic book that is speaking of God's emotions and how God feels about us and how God sees us. Hosea chapter 2 verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness and will speak comfort to her. And I will give her her vineyards from there. And the valley of Achor is a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. And I want you to flip back a little bit further and uh, to Song of Songs, chapter 1. Song of Songs, chapter 1. I want you to get used to this book. Uh, for some of you, you're unfamiliar with it, and you kind of, uh, you know, I've I, I got to tell you a funny story. You, you'll be able to relax and sit down. Just I've got to tell you a funny story. I, I, I remember preaching one Sunday years ago. For, for a while in the church, Song of Solomon wasn't the, the, the coolest book you'd go to. You know, I mean, it just wasn't wildly accepted. I remember... Uh, you like this. I had I had a Pentecostal church with a bunch of Anabaptists in it. 
Yeah, just just a bad combination, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I remember preaching one Sunday morning out of a verse in Song of Solomon. This dear little lady, she's about this high, gray hair, met me at the back. And this was a church that we were trying to wean from. You know, they, they were into King James only. They were just they were just a really rigid, 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 rigid bunch of people. And, you know, I'm fitting in real well. And... Uh, she meets me at the back door, and I said, what can I do for you, dear? She says, what are you doing reading all this bedroom talk from the pulpit? I went, uh, well, uh, it's in the, it's in the, I, you, you're caught off guard. Well, it's in the Bible, and, uh, you know, but that's the way a lot of people have viewed this, and we're going to open your heart up and your minds up. We're going to thread everything together in the next few weeks, and uh, hopefully you'll have learned. Most importantly, how God feels about you. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love you. Draw me away and we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. But I am, dar- I am dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the c- curtains of Solomon, do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my vi- own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, this is where I want you to concentrate today. Tell me, O oh, you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon, for why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions. If you do not know, O fairest among among women, follow the footsteps of the flock. Feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared you, my love, to the filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you. I love that phrase. We will make you. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just as God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image, God is still at work making us. And he says, we will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. Jesus, I cannot do this without you sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, into this room this morning. Lord Jesus, your word says that you would send the Holy Spirit and he would teach us all things concerning you. And Jesus, this is not about theory, philosophy, theology, or anything else. It's about you, Jesus. Everything in this world is about you. Time is about you. The end of time is about you. The new heavens, new earth is about you. This planet's about you. Everything from the beginning, when God said in the beginning, everything has been about you. In fact, before the foundations of the world, it was about you. And Jesus, we ask that you would just send the Holy Spirit now in the area of wisdom and knowledge and revelation. I ask God, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, 
19, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this house this morning, God. And Lord, I, I ask, Lord, I know this sounds crazy, but you've told us we have not because we ask not. And Lord, right now, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring down and you would bring into captivity our thoughts to the obedience of Jesus Christ right now. Lord, I pray runaway minds would be captivated by the, by the master this morning, Jesus. And Lord, I pray right now that you would rebuke the devourer. Mm. You would rebuke that Jezebelian thinking out of our minds right now, Lord. And you would begin to establish your will and your way and your rule in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Nature, nature pours a vacuum. Graham Cook in his book, The Heart of Prophecy, writes these words. He says, the father did not remove his DNA because man had sinned. All people are made in his image. And until Christ reforms it, that image is fractured. How many of you know what he means by fractured? That, that the image of God, that God made us in, that image has been fractured by sin. That every time we say yes to sin and no to God, it fractures, it hurts, it destroys the image of God in us. And he says that that image has been fractured but it still contains the propensity for spiritual experiences beyond the natural realm. If not Christ, now listen to this. You're going to think, you're going to, I'm going to take you down little bunny trails today that you've never been. You're going to look in the underbrush and go, wow, I didn't know that was laying there, but it's there. If not Christ, then another power will seek to usurp that God-shaped vacuum in all people. We, I, I was reading a couple days ago, I'm going through a book by uh, uh, an Epis- the head of the Episcopalian Church of all things. His name's N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright writes in Simple Christianity. He tells the story in, in dealing with the power of the gospel. He tells the story. He says there was a man who was a dictator. And this dictator was, was obviously running his country and his, his lands the way he wanted. And there was these fresh water springs that were bubbling up all over the place. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to pave over those springs. I'm going to put pipes in those springs. I'm going to put a little bit of uh, fluoride in it, a little bit of chlorine. And we're going to make sure the water's pure. And we're going to control that flow of water to the people. And for a long time, the people were drinking the water, and once in a while, they'd say, wow, it tastes good. And, and over time, they built more roads over the springs, and it, everything was controlled. Till one day, someone runs into the dictator and says, we have a problem. And he says, what's the problem? You know where we paved over one of those springs? He says, the water is washing out the roads and there's a new spring. There's springs starting to bubble up and take away the roads and it's a mess out there. It's blowing up the pipes. It's messed up. Now here's, and and he used it to make this point. I want you to hear this. Especially in Western Christianity, we know Jesus said that in John 7:37 that out of our belly would flow rivers of living water. There is a spring that is naturally in your DNA that is God disposed. It is wanting God. God wants to release that river in you, but here's what we've done. We have paved over that natural spring with our religious ideas and with our doctrine. 
and we've stuck some pipes in there and we've put a little bit of something in the water to make sure people don't get, you know, sick. And what's happening, because man is a spiritual being. Now hear me, whether they're in church this morning or not, man is a spiritual being. And in fact, God said in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Here's what's happening. And and it is in the church, all of a sudden, and outside the church, we're seeing all these, these paved over roads that have been paved over these bubbling brooks. These brooks are starting to break through the pavement. And people are going, you can't worship God like that. You're, you're muddy and the, the waters are getting muddy. You, you people, you know, you know, and I don't care what stream you're in, whether it's Baptist or Charismatic. We told you last night, we're not, last week, we're not a charismatic church or a Pentecostal church or, or any other kind. We're a Holy Spirit activated church. That's where we're hanging our hat, okay? Because I don't want labels like that. Those labels are bad labels. But here's the deal. There is, over the years of religious control. I want you to know it's a spirit of control. It's a manipulative spirit. It's a nasty spirit. It's something that will destroy you. And what's happening is those those springs are starting to bubble up and they're busting through the roads. They're messing up denominations. They're messing up ways of thinking. People are coming to church going, I don't, that's different music than we've always had. It's amazing to me how many people get stirred up when they don't under, when, when it's different music. I wonder what's going to happen, you know, if they ever, if God ever rolled back the heavens and they heard God singing over them, they'd probably go, that's not in the hymnal. I want you to know, there are, there are springs bubbling up and we see the spirituality all around and there's wrong spirituality bubbling up. There's wrong things. Let me tell you something. Within a radius of our house in southeast Portland, there are several. My, my grandkids crack me up because we'll drive by. My, my youngest grandson, he's five. He goes, that's a devil house, isn't it, Grandpa? Isn't it, Papa? And, and I said, well, it is. But Jesus loves the people in that house. Yeah, but it's the devil house. And there's Buddhist temple things just creeping up everywhere you can look. What's going on? Is it, is that, is, what, what's that telling us? Man is a spiritual being. In his DNA, there's going to be a search for God. And our goal is this. Here's the goal. Here's where we're heading. Elijah is on the Mount Carmel. 400 prophets of Baal. They're doing their thing. Elijah's mocking them. You know the story. He pours water on the altar, calls down the fire of God. Prophets of Baal, they, they take it in the shorts, man. They get killed. And... As Israel is walking down off of Mount Carmel, you hear them say these words, Our God, He is God. And somewhere in the church, there needs to bubble up the spring where we're drinking from pure water again, from the heart of God that hasn't been piped, paved over, or controlled. And we walk out on Sunday mornings, Monday morning from our prayer closet, Tuesday we come home from our job, and always on our lips is this thought, Our God, He is God. Our God, He is God. Our God loves me. Our God cares for me. Our God is powerful. Our God, He's God. He's not a God of wood, hay, or stubble. He's not a God of stone. He is God. And I want you to know something. 
We want to plug in. You know, you say, well, man, when those springs, things get real muddy when water just takes off on its own. That's the fun of it. Some of you have had such a controlled spiritual environment. Now, I'm talking to people who've been in the charismatic Pentecostal realm. But you, you know what? We, we, this pride and arrogance thing that we think we have because we believe in the New Testament moving of the Lord. What a crock, friends, when you control the Holy Spirit and he can only move in a way that you think he should move. What are you going to do when he does something totally out of the ordinary? I tell people if it's between Genesis 1 and Revelation and the end of the book, it's legal. Bring it on. You see, there's this idea. And I'm going to tell you something. Your spirit abhors a vacuum. And some of you in this room or listening to me by the Internet, you have tried very hard to fill that vacuum where the only thing that's going to fill it is Jesus himself. You tried it with money, homes, position, power, relationships, whatever it is. And the only thing that's going to fulfill it is an eyeball-to-eyeball encounter with the Son of the living God. Let me tell you something. He's on his way back. The Holy Spirit is stirring people all around the planet. Things are changing. I don't know when. I just know this. In my spirit, there's this sense something's going on. And I want to be able... I don't, you know, I love what Joy Dawson says. She, she says in her book, Intimacy with God, she says, I want to get to heaven and see Jesus and go, wow, I knew that's what you looked yeah. like. I knew that's what you were like. She says, I don't want to get to heaven and go, whoa, I had no idea. You were, whoa, this is weird. No, I got to tell you, you're freaking me out here. But that's how it's going to be for some believers. The book of Jude says that some people will make it only like by the skin of their teeth. They're just going to get in. And friends, I don't want to just get in. I want to walk in and I want to see him face to face. And besides hearing the words, well done, I want to hear out of my mouth, I knew this is exactly what you were like. But in order to do that, we're going to have to encompass a biblical view of Jesus. Not a Sunday school view. Not your view or my view, but a biblical view of Jesus. And let me give you a hint. He's not a baby in the manger anymore. Let me give you a bigger hint. He's not in the grave. (laughs) Let me give you a bigger hint. (laughs) The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. Let me give you an even bigger hint. You want to know what Jesus is like? There's 16 descriptions of Jesus in Revelation 1 alone that will tell you exactly what he's like. Hair that's white as snow, eyes like fire, and out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Just getting that far should blow your mind. We need a clear understanding of Jesus because he wants to erupt some brooks out of you where you've paved over. Some of you are feeling uncomfortable the last few weeks. Carol, that was awesome. That was awesome. See, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus just doesn't attend church on Sunday. Ah, ah. Ah, He was there last night. He was there this morning. He'll be there tomorrow and the next day. He is an everyday, 24-hour, seven-day-awake Jesus. 
And we need to understand that. Now, let's, 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 dig, let's dig a little bit deeper here. Now, as we begin to unveil and look through the Scripture and learn together about the love of God, one of the things we're going to have to deal with right up front, and uh, we've dealt with this quite a bit on the South Campus, but, and so some of this will be, uh, be old for them but new for you, is how do we operate in grace without turning sin into a misdemeanor? I mean, you know the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor. (laughs) There's a lot of time involved, let me tell you. (laughs) A lot of people act as if sin is just a misdemeanor, and some people act as if sin is a big felony. Friends, we've got to get the balance between grace and God's love and how we deal with sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says that we are to be ambassadors of grace and mercy through reconciliation. And I want you to get this. I want you to hear this because I'm trying to prepare you for something. You look around and you say, well, there are a lot of people gone. Let me tell you something. It's not about the people that's gone. It's about the people that's coming that I'm concerned about. There is a generation that is getting ready to hand itself over to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, if you visit us on the south side once in a while, you find out they're not really pretty in the sense they got hardware where hardware shouldn't go. Come on. Their music's different. Everything. I, I love it, actually, myself. But here's the deal. We're called to bring grace and reconciliation, not to be a cop writing out felonies. At the same time, they're not misdemeanors. Sin is not to be taken lightly. We are called to expose sin and to release people that are in bondage. That's what we're called to. One of the things that we're going to deal with this today, one of the things that we have to understand is we're not called to expose sin and put people in a new bondage to our rules and to the fears of our own flesh. You hear me? James 2.13 tells us that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to be defined by a principle this morning. The principle is this. The church is to be built on the right perception of Jesus, the true revelation of him. Church isn't to be built on a style. End of this month, we're going to have a, a merge service. Some of you got to hear him last year, but I'm having uh, Roger Hilligus, who, you know, you have the fivefold ministry gifts, pastor, prophet, apostle, and teacher, and evangelist. Roger is a teacher, and Roger's going to sit on a stool here. He's blind, and he's going to teach you, and you're going to be ministered to, but Roger isn't going to come in and be Mr. Flamboyant. You know, I, I, see, I grew up in the Pentecostal era of when you had a special speaker, and the guy came in in a Cadillac convertible and a plaid sport coat, you know, and uh, greasy as snake oil, man. And, 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 you know, it's just like, ah, I still cringe at that era of the church. It's still out there, but you, and you can dial it in on, oh, forget it. Uh, I won't go there, Jesus, I promised. Uh, I got to tell you, it's the funniest thing. Man. You know, you get down to the lower c- channels of your cable, into the 400s and 500s, you'll see all kinds of things. And there's one quote-unquote Christian station. I wake her up all the time. you got to see this. This is hilarious. Because this guy comes on in a parakeet yellow sport coat. And he's got a mullet. And he's going, for nine ninety nine, you send in nine ninety nine, we will send you this special healing oil. 
And I almost sent nine bucks to see what kind of WD-40 he was using. You know, I'm thinking, dear Jesus. But you see, some people have this perception of the church is built on a style. Our church is built on a doctrine. Our church is built on, on, on a certain stream. I'm going to tell you something. The waters are going to get real muddied in the next few years in the church world. When you see people coming from all backgrounds saying, you know what? We don't care about this. We've heard that Jesus is here. And sirs, we would see him. The church is to be built on the right perception and understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he means to us. Now I want everybody to go to Matthew 23. Because we've got to do this. You're going to miss the whole thing if I don't get this. And everybody, before you get there, say, I love you, Pastor. That's because I'm a little narcissistic and want, don't want you to hate me when I'm done here. Matthew chapter 23 is one of the most amazing books, amazing chapters of Jesus' teachings. It's amazing to me how the church ignores it. We're going to define a Pharisee. A Pharisee is defined. The Pharisees always will define themselves. You know that? You don't have to have a spec. They will define themselves. And they'll define themselves by what they're against. See, the scripture is totally opposite. Paul writes, if God is for me, who can be against me? But a Pharisee defines it different. It's of what he's against. Now, let, now let's look at this. Go to verse 2. Jesus is, is telling his, the, the multitudes and his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisee sit in Moses' seat. I want you to keep your thumb there, because I, I, I think it's just bad to read. I want you to keep your thumb there, and I want you to backtrack to Nehemiah. I want, to, I want you to see what Moses' seat was about. Because if you don't get this, you're going to miss the whole thing of what Jesus was saying. He says here, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. Here's, you got, I don't hear flipping. Okay, just pretend. Make me feel good. Just fan it or something. Nehemiah 8, 8. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God. These are, these are the, the scribes. They read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. So to sit in Moses' seat was to read the law and give a sense and to describe what they're reading. Now, can you imagine if a person is wrong in their spirit? Now, everybody up here for a moment, because this is for you. You're going to chew in on this for the whole week, I guarantee you. Some of you, it's going to get stuck in the back of your throat, but you're going to chew on this. If the person is skewed in their spirit, maybe they're angry or maybe they have a certain set of rules and regulations that have been passed down to them and it's in their head. When they tell you about Jesus, and we all have this, it's going to come out of their sense and their description of God. And Jesus said here, he says, listen, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. You're going to start getting the idea here. For they do, for they say, 
and do not do. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. See, the law of Christ was easy. Bear you one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So if I start laying things on you that's too hard for you to bear and don't do anything to help you, I'm sitting now in the seat of Moses, not giving the correct description of who Jesus is. But all their works they do to be seen by men, that's a biggie. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best seats at the feasts. Sounds like a gathering of preachers. The best seats in the synagogue. Greetings in the marketplaces. And I like this one. And to be called by men, Rabbi. I had an ongoing, I had, I had, I had some people really upset at me one time because they, and I don't know, I don't know how these things happen. I, I, uh, I, I'm kind of crazy on these things. And so maybe it's the way God took me through my life, but they wanted to talk about Reverend Steve. And I said, who is that? Well, aren't you the reverend? I said, there is nothing reverend about me. I said, if you want to call me irreverend, I'm probably going to perk up and go, yeah, I'm here. (laughs) But aren't you a pastor? I said, my mom didn't name me pastor. My mom named me Stephen. You see, when you start wanting a title attached to you, you're already into the camp of the... That's why I'm allergic to people who say, well, I'm the prophetess or prophet of God. Whoa! Hold on there, Jack. We'll let, we'll let the Holy Spirit sort that out. Well, I'm the, the apostle. Ah, time out. Time out. Not that I don't believe in those things and don't encourage those things, but when you start putting the labels on yourself, friends, you're violating what Jesus says here. And he says, he says, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father. Okay, I didn't say that. Jesus did. But that blows a whole segment up. (laughs) Okay, you understand? It's right in here. I didn't say it. He says here, let me read to you so you get it right. I wish I could do it in another language. Maybe you get that. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Wow. Do you get where this is going? Okay, hang in there. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And now he begins a real description. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They pave over the brooks, put in the pipes, and say you can drink it this way. And I'm telling you this morning, the Holy Spirit is busting out all over. The pipes are floating down the stream, and He's wanting you to know there's a new move coming that won't be controlled by men. Now, Blessing principle. Jeremiah 29.7. Everybody go there. 
Pharisees define themselves by what they're against. Here's how we're to define ourselves. We can either bless or judge. Blessing principle, Jeremiah 29.7. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for 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 in its peace you will have peace. What is he saying? For instance, when you bless what you feel, you know, I mean, I'm just honest with people. January, you know why January is such a long month and February is a short month? It's when God put the calendar together. He had mercy on us in February because he knew that January was so horrible. (laughs) I'm telling you, living in Oregon at this time of year is like sun lamps. I need help. Because I, I'm just not a rain person, you know what I'm saying? I, and, uh, you know, I look forward to that orange globe and the sky coming out again. And, and, but, but, here, but here's the deal. If you live in Portland, we, we live in one of the most craziest cities in this region, Portland, Vancouver. You know, Vancouver, suppose, here's the funny thing. Vancouver, the people, you people will say, well, we're a little more conservative. Or bet me, I've talked to some of your policemen over here. Canvas has one of the worst underground drug problems in the state of Washington. So it's all, it's all relative. But it's in that place that God says, seek the peace of that place and you'll have peace. When I bless, I have blessings. That's right. Now, Matthew 7.1 says, when I judge, I get judgment. So there's a blessing principle. When I bless, I'm blessed. When I judge, I judge. And so as a, a Pharisee who's always explaining things by the negative, there, there's a problem there of what they're against. You want to you you know the difference between a Pharisee and a, and a believer is this. And by the way, there's only one Pharisee that we can find in the Scripture that was ever saved. You know who he was? His name was Saul at the moment, and then he got changed to Paul. The rest, Jesus had nothing to do with them. In fact, they're the ones that eventually crucified him. So when I hear somebody, well, I'm against this and I'm against that, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's hilarious to me because, uh, you know, and I like to put people in situations that crack me up. Um, uh, right now, a couple, one of my guys is back at IHOP again, and Josh just got back from a month, and of course our daughter's working there now. And, and it's funny to go in the prayer, especially during the renewal stuff going on there right now, and you watch, you watch first-timers come in and their eyes are like this. And then you see them flipping through their Bibles and they're making notes. I'm thinking, hang on, you stay in this room another two hours. You'll be doing what Sally's doing over there. The backward cartwheel, sidestep, through the hoop, jerk. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. God erodes. He will do whatever it takes to erode the Pharisee in us. I mean, he will turn you upside down, sideways, make you look goofy if he has to, to get rid of that Pharisee that's in you. And Pharisees are what they're against. You know, and somebody asks me, uh, people are always asking me, well, what do you think about this? I don't know. Let's go try it. Well, have you been to such and such? I don't know. Let's go try it. Well, aren't you afraid that you'll be deceived? No, I know who Jesus is. Let's go try it. See, the problem comes down to not that people don't know doctrine, they don't know Jesus. Come on. They don't know Jesus. Now, Jesus is within us and he's for people. Every situation 
is about who you choose to be. Now, we, we don't got a lot of time here today because we're introducing this, but the nature of God's dealings, the beholding and becoming principle, whatever emotions we behold in God, whatever emotions by, by meditation, by reading His Word about God's heart toward us, they're imparted in our heart and it begins to transform us. If I know that God is, is loves me, if I know that God cares about me, if He's happy with me, you know, and some of us, we have an idea that God's always mad. He's like the mean father, you know. Well, and that's the way we pray. We pray kind of at a distance. Instead, you need to understand something. God delights in his children. Now, some of you go, well, I don't know. Some of these kids are pretty messed up. Remember, we're walking by grace here, and we're, we're, we're not going to turn sin into a misdemeanor, but I want you to know, God sees us even in our, our state of things we do sometimes, and he's, he is moved by the movements of our heart, not by our actions. And I think that's the big difference. People think, well, I've got to clean it up to get to God. No, you let your heart go after God. Experience the emotions of a living Christ. We're a little afraid of that. We change our mind or understanding about God, then God changes our hearts or emotions. Wrong ideas about God's personality hinders our intimacy with Him. There is nobody in this room that's going to open their heart and make themselves vulnerable to a God they don't trust. I love this. I mean, you go, yeah, come on, be honest. You say you have faith in God, you trust God, but with the very inside of your heart, you do not trust Him with it. Because you don't, you don't understand his emotions. You don't understand the movings of his heart. And when you begin to understand, and that's what we're going to take you now through the scripture, to begin to understand the moving of God's heart. Because when you understand how his heart acts, then you begin, begin to understand your own heart. Jeremiah tells us that our heart is wicked and deception, deceived and no one can know it. How do we get to know my, our heart? We get to know our heart by knowing the one who searches the minds and hearts of men. He knows it. And so I need to get to know his heart. I, um, Steve, I want you to drop, move forward past the next two slides because I'm running out of time. I want to deal with spiritual crisis. And we'll, we'll get that far today. Song of Song, chapter 1. Because I think this is what you're going to have to... Everybody with me? I, 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 I'm telling you, you're going to have to keep coming back and keep coming back because this all fits together. It's not a one-shot deal here. Okay? Song of Songs. Chapter 1, verse 5. It says, I'm dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark. Now, the alluring of God will always come. Now, brace yourself. This is the way we're made. Will always come with a spiritual crisis. And the biggest spiritual crisis that you will face in your life is not sickness of your body, is not destruction of your finances, is not betrayal by another person. The biggest spiritual crisis you will face in your life 
is looking at your sin and realizing I'm in sin, but I still love the Lord. That is a huge spiritual crisis. And in most circles, people at that point have a choice to make. Do we throw ourselves and the people that get caught in sin away or do we help them find the yes in their spirit to go wholeheartedly after God and to walk away? Because here's the problem. The sin that people get in, the reason they got into it is they found a pleasure in them that was greater than their pleasure in God. And so then... What happens here, there's a, there has to be a spiritual crisis in our life. It's called the paradox of grace. I have darkness, but I'm lovely. That freaks people out, especially non-Calvinists. It just makes them crazy because it's like, you know, well, you know, because I remember being raised in a very Armenian type church where you got saved every week. I mean, I've been saved, resaved a thousand times. I got more retread on me than, you know, you know. And they're always talking about backsliding. The problem is none of them front slid. You know what I'm saying? They never, they, they just, you know. And so that that's crazy. All this comes down to your perception of God. And I want to throw this out. Do you honestly believe that Jesus would give his life on Calvary? Now hear me to save you from your sin, and you say yes to Him, and you become born again, and yet there's some things inside of you that you're still struggling with, do you think He'd throw you away after that? I don't think He would. I think He's fought for you. The Bible says that today, when you got up, already, on this day, He has been at the throne interceding on your behalf. He's praying for you this morning. And you say, see, but some of you, the problem is, some of you don't, don't, you don't have a crisis with your sin. Now, here's the rule of thumb that we go by, and you need to learn this. We deal with all kinds of stuff. I'm telling you, this week has been a week we've dealt with all kinds of stuff. But here's the key. We never get on anybody's case ever, ever, who's caught in a sin and they repent and they're fighting. You know what? That's the difference between having a spiritual... See, I believe in a a good spiritual crisis is good for you because it sets you up for the alluring of God. It sets you up for God to say, hey, come here. I want to put my arms around you. I want to love you. Yeah, but God, I'm so sinful. I know. And, And I think, I really believe at that point... God starts laughing. I know you are. This is so cool. You're coming to me. I'm I'm delighting in this. You actually want me to fix you. You're coming to me. You're done struggling trying to fix this sin issue yourself. You're coming to me. Friends, that's the paradox of God's grace. And until you and I learn this, we will not be effective as believers and we will not be effective as evangelists into our city. Cracked me up. We got a lot of church plants going on. I meet some of these church planters that are coming into the city. And some of them, you know, I know they're going to be successful. And other ones of them, I go, you are going to get so hurt. Because the demons in this city are going to eat your lunch. Because they, you know, especially some of the guys that come in from the south, 
I remember this one guy came in, and, and he wanted to meet with me. So I met with him, and I said, dude, I said, this is Portland, Oregon. I mean, you, I can take you and show you where the gates of hell are actually located. <laughs> More toward Eugene, but it's right here. And a duck guards the gates of hell. Anyway. Anyway, that, that slipped out. My UWness slipped out there. Okay. Uh, but here's, here's the deal. I, I, t- I told him, I said, you, you'll not last six months. He says, why? I said, you're going to have to lose your legalism in this city because you're going to see everything under the sun. Yes. So what do you mean? I said, in the church, you're going to see yes. everything under the sun. I said, I, I, I had been here six months in the city and KGW News was on my doorstep because of some stuff that had gone on in the church. You know, it's kind of freaky. You come home and here's a picture of your church and this reporter standing out in front of the talking, you know, because sin is wicked and diabolical. It has no respect of persons. It does not care whether you're in church or out of church. But let me tell you something. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There is a paradox of grace where you begin to run into a spiritual crisis. I'll take a person in spiritual crisis over a Pharisee any day of the week. Because the Pharisees will say, it's everybody else's problem but mine. You know what? If you'd fix the music, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be sinning. If you'd fix the preaching, I wouldn't be sinning. Oh, we need Bible study every night or I wouldn't be sinning. No, you need a relationship with a real living Jesus who loves you beyond what anything you could ever imagine. The changes that have come in my life where I have won and overcome is where I got to see Jesus delight in me even when I was weak. You hear me? Two more minutes and then we got to go. That we are sincere but weak believers. Beautiful to God. Our loveliness comes by receiving the gift of righteousness. You know, you hear people quote it, you know, my righteousness is the filthy rags. And I hear that come out of their mouth and I go, excuse me? Yes. Then why are you wearing those rags? What are you doing? How are you doing your walk with? Well, I'm doing really good in my walk with God. I read three chapters today. Uh, prayed for ten minutes. No, 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 no. Walking with... You know, I don't... I don't I, Elizabeth and I walk a lot together. I don't come home and sit down and say, well, we walked 14 steps and she said three things today. These are the three things she said. No, we talk about things, we fellowship, we hold hands, we walk together. What's going on? Well, there's a relationship taking place, and it's not confined to what I did or didn't do. Right. Unless I didn't take out the garbage at the right time, then there's, then there's issues. <laughs> but we're beautiful because of His righteousness, not because anything I do. That way, when I get that truth in my mind, I can then start praying. I can walk to God. I can come to God and I can pray, not based on, you know, I, 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 I've had to deal with some people, you know, they say, well, we're so beautiful to Jesus. Really? And they were making the declaration. That's not how it works. God makes the declaration over me. You're beautiful, son. Yeah, but I, I got all this stuff and I got poo up to my, my kneecaps here and I, I've got some sin issues. And you're saying, I'm, yes, because my righteousness is going to change you. My righteousness is going to fix you. And then it says, at new birth, God put a yes in our spirit to God. Each movement of our heart to God and His work 
is in us is called the willing spirit. <laughs> oh, I wish I could bring this out more, but we got to go. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want you this week to start listening for the yes in your spirit. Good. Don't look at what you're trapped in. Don't look at your bondage. Don't look at the handcuffs that the enemy has you in right now. Don't worry about it. Just listen for the yes in your spirit that says, I really want more of God. I really want to know God in his fullness. Listen to that voice and start crying out with it. Because God was the one that put that yes in your spirit. God was the one that put that yes in you that says, I don't want to be this way anymore. And you know what? I was listening to you this morning, Carol. Don't you worry about your age because the Bible says in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on old and young alike. And you know what? God's raising up a church that is cross-generational. It's going to be old and young and middle-aged and they're going to be flowing as a total generation to the throne. Here's what we got to do. We got to start listening to the yes in our spirit and agreeing with that yes. I'm not saying the no, because all of us got to know. Well, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. No, forget it for a moment and go with the yes, because as you're dealing with the yes, guess what? You're going to wake up one day and go, where'd it go? And I, I, I don't even have a desire. What? Because you see, when you go after the yes, <laughs> pretty soon he becomes your pleasure. Yes. He becomes the desire because she's going to come back. Next week we're going to look at it. She's going to come back. She says, where do you feed your flocks? Man, this stuff you're telling me about myself is blowing me away. I want to know where you're feeding your flocks because I want to go there. Let's stand.